Welcome to Craft Chocolate TV. I am Dylan Butterbaugh, and today we are at Dandelion Chocolate with Karen, who is the flavor manager. And something that Dandelion does as a craft chocolate maker in a way that no other chocolate maker does is the amount of sensory and taste evaluations in a very scientific way. And so would you mind breaking this down a little bit in a nutshell, and then we'll take it from there? Yeah, sounds good. So... Uh, my job is oftentimes when people ask me what a flavor manager is, you know, they've got these like crazy Oompa Loompa-esque ideas of me walking around and tasting things and saying, that's good and that's bad. And that's absolutely not my job. I don't get that opportunity. Um, oftentimes, my opinion... You've got to back it up with some data. Yeah, my, my opinion actually doesn't matter all that much. My opinion matters as, as much as um, everyone else's, which I actually... Uh, love that about how we generate um, both all of the bars on our shelves and how we approach quality on the floor. So um, we use uh, a lot of data. So early on at Dandelion, we used these little sticky notes, and I had to learn how to like read everybody's handwriting, which uh-huh. let me just tell you is was the hardest part of my job. Yeah, in fact, we started, <laughs> we had made a number of mistakes because of bad handwriting. Ah, the point where I was like, everyone, you need to work on your handwriting, <laughs> please, because we can't have this happen again. Yes, yes. Slow down if you need to, but write legibly. Yes, please, yeah. And um, no matter how much you tell, I have very specific chocolate maker in mind, no matter how many times I would tell that person that they needed to slow down, it never was. So I'd always have to go running after them and being like, you have to tell me what you're saying. <laughs> Um, so thankfully those days are gone, but we would, we originally started, I should say Todd and Cam originally started with this, um, negative two, positive two score, right? And the general just was the worst t- chocolate you've ever tasted and the best chocolate you've ever tasted. Those were the anchors, if you will, of that, okay. that scale. Um, there's lo- there was lots of flaws to that as somebody who has spent some time in the sensory science world and have, has delved deeply into what makes a good scale and how to, run an appropriate taste test with people. So you've now evolved their original way of evaluating beans. Yes. Yeah. So that negative two, positive two score took us a, a long way, but it was it was quite fl- flawed. People would interpret it differently depending on what scenario they were in, right? Uh-huh. Um, and so it was just not something tenable for the long term, for especially when we're talking about a factory. Okay. So now Greg goes out, he sources some beans. Yep. Beans show up to you. Yes. What's the first thing that you do? Well, our uh, actually our I don't know if you've met Ron. Ron is uh, he's our R and D operations manager. Oh yes, manager. I have met Ron. Yeah, so he'll turn he goes through and all of the beans will come to him and he'll put together. Uh, we run them through a standard evaluation process, which just means we roast them the same way no matter what sample comes in. Right? We want to mm-hmm. kind of evaluate everything from as level of a playing field as possible. We know that what we're evaluating for in that circumstance is potential as opposed to deliciousness, right? there, Those are two different things if you really think about it. In a raw form, can, is there something there that we can work with? Or is there too much of something that we cannot work with, right? Like there's, and that is a subjective thing. Chocolate maker to chocolate maker will make different decisions with those beans. Right, because you leave that up to whoever is in charge of roasting would determine how long to roast and so, then put their name on it. I, yeah. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if we don't have a good set of beans by the time it reaches um, our origin leads, then, you know, we're we're headed, we're way too far down a path that we can't turn around from. You know, we're talking about, you know, metric tons of cocoa that we just can't 
rescue. Yeah, so that's a scary thought. It is a scary thought. I'm sure <laughs> you understand better than most how scary I thought that yeah, is. Yeah, totally. And it's all about trusting your, it's more of a partnership really with who we purchase from. Yes. From chocolate maker to origin. I mean, 100%. I, I would say at least 50%, if not more, of the final flavor that a person gets to enjoy in one of our bars happens before we even get our hands on it. So yep. if we don't have the right partners uh, at yeah, you're origin, doomed from the start. Doomed from the start. You're going to have bad chocolate oh, no matter gosh. who makes it. I remember it. when we had first begun in 2010. We'd get a batch of beans. Let's just choose a country from Dominican Republic. Yeah. And we'd be like, oh, my God, these are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> we made such good chocolate. And then we'd order again and kind of be like, I don't understand. Yeah. Why is this batch so much worse? Right. And it's just because it was a rent. Like, the variability was huge. Yes. They were supplying a much different kind of market than what yes. we were trying to be a part of and create. Yeah, and well, I think too, just like the craft chocolate industry is, has been evolving in their quality, their quality standards and the way that we approach what makes something good, at least as individual chocolate makers, how we approach what makes something good versus what makes something bad. Uh -huh. uh, that's been evolving over time. And I know based on lots of conversations with Greg and also having been to, you know, visit some of our partners that they are, they too are trying to figure out like right. the same things, like, we make we make our batches of chocolate and um, raw ingredients. Those two, you know, sugar and cocoa beans. There's variation in all of these things. So the idea that we're going to put out the same thing over and over and over again. Um, yeah, we basically have to celebrate the fact that it's not going to be right, consistent right. next ferment or next year. Yes, and and so with with that said, though, the our partners at Origin are also battling the same thing. They know that each of their uh, fermentation boxes are going to be different than the next. Yep. So how do they then turn around and sell to Manoa or sell to Dandelion Chocolate and tell them this is consistent? How do we build those consistencies? So there is a measure of consistency. It's like a partnership between building our quality structures, building our understanding of what makes things the same, you know, consistent across a whole thing, and then also tying in the fact that explaining to our customer base that. Um, your experience with, say, a Hershey's bar, the fact that it's the same now as it was when you were five years old, should in it, while while I also too have nostalgic feelings towards certain can't you know can't chocolate candies, uh -huh. it should be slightly concerning to you that you're ex you know you're having the same experience yeah. now that you did when you were in, five. In a lot of ways, I'm impressed <laughs> yeah. that they're able to keep such consistency. Yes, yes. There's a lot of. Um, it's more food engineering as totally. opposed to food manufacturing at that point. But. Yeah, I, I can't remember who I was talking to. I mean, maybe it was Gary Guitard or something. And they were explaining the way that it's done is they would buy from, oh, it was uh, one of the guys from Ghirardelli. Mm -hmm. They buy from potentially 15 different origins or 10 different origins. And then they tweak the mm -hmm. amount that they buy every single year yeah. by a few percentage on each of them so yeah. they can try and get a consistent flavor. Yeah. And, like it's. It's engineering. It's engineering. Yeah, and that's a that's probably at best. Like that's somebody who's doing their darndest to keep a, yeah. a, a chocolate product actually chocolate, right? We're talking the big manufacturers are probably there's a lot more I think science that goes into making rather yeah, than probably. rather than those little tweaks here and there, which I I, I imagine that's yeah. Like and what it's you have one to thing do. I don't have a lot of experience with is chocolate on any type of scale like that. Sure. Yeah. I'm just only exposed to people who are 
companies that are craft chocolate where it's open and you can take a tour and you can be like, oh, yep, I see what you're roasting yeah. and I can see that you're winnowing. Yeah, I think that's intentional. I, I don't happening. think that the big guys want you to have that they experience. Don't. It's a very closed yeah. world, the, yeah. the industrial chocolate world. Yeah. And as flavor manager, a lot of people will like come to me and be like, you know, I don't want to ask you. Like, you know, you don't have to reveal anything. Like if I was sitting down with somebody who wasn't a craft chocolate maker, they'd be like, I don't want you to have to reveal anything uh-huh. that you don't want to. And I was and like, there's like, no, <laughs> there's no secrets here. I'll tell you everything because yeah. in reality, um, so I was a geography major in college and I believe that there is, um, based off of the fact that we have a factory that's, you know, a 15 minute walk that way and we've made certain origins at both locations, I believe that there is such things as terroir of the factory, right? Like there, you can't replicate even the location of the factory Just itself. the fact that you have a different roaster. Exactly. There's so much, there's so much variation that like I can tell you our roasting curves. I can right. tell you how we process through our rotary yeah. crunch and our bell mill, and you can go home and you can try and do it, and you might get close. But it, there's everybody's got their own thing plus their own factory. Yeah, we we often would share everything, just like you guys. Yeah. Of what we roast, how we do it. Yeah. The temperatures, right. the times. But we're roasting in a at the time a San Franciscan twelve kilo coffee yeah. roaster. Yeah. You probably don't have that, so you're right. not going to be able to replicate it. Right. And when we, we got a U.S. Roasters yeah. roaster that's like now we put 30 kilos in, yeah. we don't have the same times and the same temperatures no. anymore. Yeah. So, right. hey, and we'll <laughs> try even- it in your oven. It's just not going to work. It's going to be different. And that's why yeah. I'm always saying, like, do it to taste, which yeah. comes back to the way that you guys analyze and eval- evaluate beans and, yeah. and chocolate. Yeah, so to, we don't ever evaluate... Um, to make a decision, we don't ever evaluate beans or to make a decision, right? Uh, because we are chocolate makers, and so okay. we believe that the best way to decide whether or not a bean is going to meet our standards is to make it into chocolate and to taste it. So we've never evaluated ch- uh, to make a decision on what, we were, what we're going to buy. Right, because that would be more bean. of like sorcerer responsibility. Yeah, well, and I mean, even Greg, Greg will often come back from origin and be like, I tried these beans. I think they're going to be really great based on what I tasted because of his expertise of being able to taste uh-huh. raw, raw beans out in the field. And so he, he'll come in and he'll be excited about something, but he'll never say, he'll never make a decision about what we're bringing in based off of that. He'll always have a shipment sent. We'll always taste as a group to decide whether or not we're bringing those, those in. Okay. So <laughs> beans show up. Yep. You guys then do a standard roast profile yep. and then do you know a one or two launcher. kilo batches yep. and then say... All right, we like this, we don't like this. If it passes that step, you would then do different roast profiles? Yeah, so if it passes that step and we decide that we have room for it in our... So there's multiple ways that can go, right? We get a lot of different samples. So sometimes sometimes we love something, but it's too close to something we have on our shelf already. Yep, totally. So it has nothing to do with whether or not we like it or whether or not it's good. It just doesn't necessarily fit our... We fit into our space. Too much of the same thing is just... Especially when you're trying to convince people who walk into your your showroom and you see two ingredient chocolate bars uh-huh. and you're like, well, they're all the same thing, right? That's well, how are you? Yeah, you're tell looking me? for something that'll stand out. Yeah, so it has to fit. Like we can't have too many bars in one area of our. So that's kind of one of my jobs is to ensure that each bar that hits our shelves is sits in a very unique spot um, on the on the shelf, or at least doesn't. We don't have an over occupying spot filled. Uh-huh. Um, so, so yeah, so those beans, so, so in that instance, if we like them 
or uh, or if we like them and we can't, we don't have a space for them, or they weren't necessarily. Let's, let's assume up to you guys quality. you like it. Yeah. You got a space for it. Yeah. Um, so then, once the beans actually get shipped, so that uh, uh, Greg will obviously work with them to get a full shipment in, and then we've got our origin leads uh, lined up to take the profile development on. So. Um, that's usually one of our chocolate makers that's been around the block a few years uh-huh. here on the chocolate making team, and an origin lead literally just takes is is responsible for the whole profile development process. So roasting starts first, obviously. Um, if we if it's a new origin that we've never uh, seen, like we haven't, uh, it's not a harvest changeover, for example. Um, we'll kind of we'll go into like pretty in-depth roasting. We're trying to actually make bad chocolate at that point. We want to know the uh. limits of a bean. So we'll roast it super light, and then we'll roast it super heavy. Okay. Can you give me some profiles here? What's super light and super heavy? Um, so super light's like down in the low 200s. Uh-huh. Um, we so found 210? You, 220s, about as low as we typically go. Oh, okay. Um, mostly because uh, by that point... It, <laughs> It starts to. It's questionable as to whether or not you're roasting below. Totally agree. Two twenty. Um, even at two twenty. I feel like two twenty is kind of like you're just starting to roast. Yes. Yeah. It's questionable if we're actually roasting at two twenty as well. Um, uh, just from the technical definition of roasting, uh-huh. I should say. Um, so that's about as low as we'll go. It's usually around uh, the uh, high 20, twenty minute range or higher into the thirties. So that's uh-huh. low. Um, high for us. It really depends what high is depending on the bean because some yep, beans can take a higher temperature and you could you just have zero idea that it was roasted so high um, and some just can't just cannot. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so we're talking like 265, 285. No, we've been, we've been up to the 300 to 340 oh, yeah. range, right? So yeah, Camino that's Verde, hot. Camino Verde can take it, right? Right, cuz yeah. it's such a base chocolate flavor. Yeah, yep. So Camino Verde being the Ecuadorian cacao that's mm-hmm. just known for fudgy deep base mm-hmm. chocolate notes yep. it's almost like it's the only quality yeah that and I it's noticed. nutty so yep. that nut note can really you know you're talking about a roasted note which is like super warm and inviting for yeah so it can handle hot yeah so it really depends right we just went through a profile development for madagascar or umbanja madagascar that we've had on our shelves for ages and this this origin is both the most consistent and inconsistent thing that we've dealt with over my eight years uh-huh. and uh this recent profile it just like would not it was a, an insanely narrow window for us this this particular profile. and you were on the lighter side for this one mm-hmm. correct yeah, yeah We've so generally more lighter. acidic beans get yes. lighter roasts yeah generally speaking yes if you want to play if you want so the, the acid in a bean i don't believe disappears at a higher roast there's this idea that roasting higher gets rid of acidity i think that that's actually false yeah i, I think what you do by roasting higher is you get rid of the more delicate aromas that make that acid palatable. Yep, I and that agree. acid is the only thing that's left over. So if you've got too much acid in your bean, then you are, if you roast too high, then you end up with just sour as yeah, opposed to it, To me, it lemon. tastes off balanced if you roast yeah. an acidic bean high. Mm-hmm. Which, and then beans that don't have a lot of acid, I notice they can handle much hotter temperatures and improves a lot right. of the time. So what I would say, though, is one of the things that I've recognized over eight years and specifically over the last four years as flavor manager is while while I've built these levels of assumptions and I will pass these off to our origin leads as they take on these profiles, 
Um, we don't ever want to assume that it's always going to be that way because I find that those assumptions are great places to start. But oftentimes, if we can, if we always lean on those assumptions, then we're never really understanding the full breadth of what a bean can offer. So when we're starting with a brand new origin, that's why we go really low and really high. How many weeks does this process take? Um, so a fresh, brand new heart, uh, brand new. Well, in this factory, it's different than, a, say, a factory like Valencia, which is much smaller. At Valencia, we can get it through the entire process in under two weeks. Uh-huh. Um, and this person's dedicated to that particular profile. So it's an it's their, everyday thing for two weeks. Yes, because um, they're they're generating samples, so they're doing all the roasting and refining, uh, hand tempering all of the samples which can be very difficult. Time-consuming. Time-consuming. And then they're running between all of our locations, getting as many people to taste as possible, right? So this is where the data So then you guys have some type of card that people would be voting on. So actually, we use an app. um, And that app is called uh, Sample... Or excuse me, Draft Draft Lab. Get out. So it's this app. So Draft Lab um, obviously was built by beer people. <laughs> That's why it's called Draft Lab. Um, but they've branched out to a, to a bunch of different. Yeah, um, perfect. And so we use, we use Draft Lab um, internal for it. So what it essentially is is uh, the testing that we use for, say, a new profile development, which this is one of those. This is um, our profile development that's running right now for Coco Camille in Tanzania. Um, We'll do two different tests on it back to back. So one is a descriptive test. So the whole point is for for people to put in everything they taste and any of the texture, um, any of the mouthfeel things that aren't related to texture, like astringency and so on and so forth, um, into this. And then the second one is a hedonic test. So if you take a look at um, the description test, I don't know if this is this will work, but the description test you can go through, and we've got our. Um, that's our visual, excuse me. Oh, we've got our flavor map. So the way that we approach flavor at Dandelion is that we, we're not searching for everyone to taste the same thing all the time. What we're searching for is alignment on what we call flavor families, which what you see here is the flavor family. So the high level, the high level flavor categories in a chocolate bar, these are the things that we're going to end up promising to our customers. So that's so what you're going to write on the package. Exactly. And... So if I taste cocoa and you taste cocoa and, you know, everybody tastes cocoa, then I know, regardless of if you think it's cocoa powder and I think it's fudge, uh-huh. there's some alignment there. And I know that we can promise to our customers who walk through the door that there's some so level of chocolate. The amount of people who are taking this is tens of people? Yeah. So at the moment, um, we're, at the moment, uh, pandemic life, um, we're lucky if we get 15. Okay. Um, That's still a lot of people tasting. It is a lot of people. My dream as flavor manager is to have um, 50% or more of our full company tasting in, right? Because the way that we, w- because we're not trying to get parity across each taster, we're not trying to say, well, this is a strawberry, Dylan. Like, this is a strawberry. Don't you taste a strawberry? And I'd be uh, like, you know, yep, trying yep. to get our unique individual aromatic memories to come into alignment. It, I mean, that's what sensory science 
leans on. Sure, we we do tastings all day long when people come into our factory, and、yes. if we say, "Oh, you know, this one tastes like cherries and bananas." People are like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah!" I totally taste the cherries、yeah. and bananas. That's amazing. How'd you do that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You could totally, you could have said raspberries, and they、right. would have said, "Yeah, you're right,、exactly. raspberries." Yeah. So what you're doing is you know that there's a fruit in there, and your team has aligned around potentially a couple of fruits that you think it best represents, right? But if you were to give it to somebody in a vacuum, they may have chosen any other fruit,、mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean that they're wrong because they didn't. Like in, hit your tasting note or your team's tasting note. It just means that、um, their aromatic reference is different. Right, and、um, then if you hear, you know, ten out of the fifteen people said cherries, you're like, okay, yeah, cherries, cherries, it is. <laughs> it is. But as flavor manager, if you look at our packaging, the front of our packaging, we have our tasting notes, and they're always like super, like kind of bougie, like little, little, like very specific. Uh-huh. Um, but as flavor manager, I never would expect they're those are meant more as like a tool to draw someone in, right? Again, we have two, we、yeah. have one thing on our shelf that has the same two ingredients, and so we need some way to draw people in to tell a different story about each of our bars. But if you boil all of our tasting notes back, they boil all back to a flavor family that I, I as flavor manager, if. Can guarantee that you should be able to taste, and those are the flavor families that we build our entire quality structure. Okay, so can you do that with me with eight seventy seven and one five zero? Meaning, well, we can. I, I guess I just want to eat some chocolate. Yeah, let's eat some chocolate. <laughs> so go for it. So,、okay. um, you're just gonna go through, and、um, you can. I mean, these are these are the flavor families, and you can like, click in and get all the way down into the into the nitty gritty.、Um, Uh, excuse me. You can get into the details、um, and go as far down as possible, right? So when I'm looking at the data, I start to see、uh, thematics, and those are the thematics that we start to build our decisions off of. Okay, so this is Coco Cocoa Camille. Correct. Yeah. So I'm getting that very typical brightness that's coming out of it. I usually taste raisins and cherries、uh-huh. in Cocoa Camille. And so, for you guys, the only difference here is one is roasted longer. So these are two different roasts. Yes.、Um, to be honest, oh, I have them right here. Yes.、Um, this one. Well, I thought eight seventy seven is great. And what's so nice about these beans is you can roast super light or medium, and it's going to be great. Yeah. And that's one of the best things about buying really good beans. Yeah. There's so much play. In it. Well, and that's what makes the craft chocolate world so exciting because everybody can take the same set of beans, right, and do something very different with. Now, I'll say,、right. and your guys' approach is is phenomenal in so many ways and different than every other craft chocolate maker because you guys incorporate so much science and data into it. We、um, try, yeah, we try. I think within your own style, yeah, right. And we,、uh, I think, with with approaching. Profile development. One of our big pieces, and the reason why I said earlier that we would want like as many people as I possibly can is because we believe that each of our employees represents someone who's going to walk through that door, right? So, and I am not trying as we're as, we as chocolate makers aren't trying to make every bar beloved by all because if we made every bar to to, to try and please everyone who walked through the door, we'd be making the same thing over and over again. So oftentimes, when somebody says, "Ooh, I don't like that," I don't take that personally. I just say, "Well, we've got 18 other bars you can yeah, choose from." Yeah, totally. By, by all means, you're not going to like them all. Yeah, the by, same. Exactly.、Mm. 
Did All you right. try? Did you try this one? I've just tried both of them. Okay. Now, it could be because I tried this one first mm -hmm. that it might taste more fruity and acidic. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go ahead and say I think this one was the lighter roast. Okay. What was that? Eight seven seven. Eight seven seven. I can tell you on my handy dandy app. You are right, sir. Eight seven seven was the heavier roast. Um, but that being said, both of them are good. I think you can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, so when you talked about the negative two positive two score, we replaced negative two positive two with uh, a scale that's well tested in the sensory industry called the hedonic nine points, the nine point hedonic scale. Um, again, if you go dive deep, if you really are a nerd like myself, um, you can dive deep into the history of these types of scales. And there's there's reasons to they're not it's not a perfect scale either, but it's much more comprehensive. It, it asks a very specific question where that negative two, positive two would, could kind of bend in the wind. This is literally asking people how much they like something. It oh, okay. Right? So do you like it extremely or do you dislike it extremely and everywhere in between? So um, you can start to see trends, right? We've got, we've got something that is relatively well-loved. There's an outlier down here, and that's okay. That person may just not yep. like it. Or they may be having a bad day, which happens. Um, and <laughs> they then, could try it tomorrow and be uh, exactly. at the top. Um, so this is one of the things. We hold our data lightly, right? We are not. We, we, we use our data to make decisions. We don't let the d data make decisions for us. Yeah. Um, just and then you like, got their tasting notes. Yeah, and so this is, this is like people's personal opinions distilled down in their own words. They've given us their actual tasting notes in the description tests. So we can use that to make decisions on our, on our, like we, um, we can aggregate how many times cocoa is called out in our descriptions. So I can actually um, go to that. So you see, you can see it. Um, as far as the, the times and temperatures, do you know that as well offhand or is that? In yeah. So the um, 877 was roasted for at 240 degrees for 28 minutes. Um, and then 150 was 220 for 28. Um, and I think the other thing that is important to note about these particular samples is we use a quench on these samples. So we'll add moisture in right at the very beginning. Um, there is a flavor impact with quench, but mostly for this particular sample and really for a lot of the light, we're, we're going to try this out on our Madagascar. We don't currently use it on our Madagascar, but we're thinking it will be really helpful is it puffs the shell very quickly, mm. which makes the lower roasts much more easier to process through the winnower, and therefore the ball mill is less husky and so on and the, so forth. The lighter roasts puff the shell more? With the added moisture at the very beginning. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. Goes, okay. And then, yeah. and then you can winnow a much hard, like Madagascar is real hard to winnow. <laughs> same, same with Tanzania. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This one. So Alicia, the origin uh, lead for this, tried roasting without the... Uh, quench. So, long story, we have a nib profile with it that uses the quench, and it made it for a much easier winnow. Uh -huh. And so now we've gotten to this, and that was um, in between profiles that we made that nib profile. And so we got to this harvest, and, and they were like, let's do it. Like, let's add the quench and see what happens. And we're happy with the flavor. I actually think this Coco Camille harvest is way more punchy than I'm used to. Usually Coco Camille for me in our process, is kind of a light and delicate fruit note. It, there's always a fruit note, but it's usually a bit more this could tropical. Be, 
Um, we have all of our beans in Grain Pros. Mm -hmm. Do you guys also have them all in Grain Pros? Yes. Oh, okay. Because in one container that shipped from Tanzania, ours was the only ones in Grain Pros. Ah. And we got a comparison of yes. beans that weren't on that same trip. Mm. And the amount of off-gassing that had happened yes. meant that they lost so much of their fruity flavor, but were way more base chocolatey. Interesting. Which is fine yep. if that's what someone wants. Right. But the Grain Pro held in a lot of yes. the flavors that we would have preferred to work with. Yeah. And uh, so... Uh, Chuck over at Zorzal Cacao in the Dominican Republic has recently sent us a bunch. He's, they want to change their grain pro, um, to, uh, more lo a local, uh, manufacturer. It's cheaper for them, which makes a lot of sense. So he's sending us, uh, bags of the next harvest in the local grain pro and then in the, um, the you know regular grain pro and then without grain pro so we're gonna do a, oh, a like a vertical taste tests. test and let you know how it goes but yeah <laughs> yeah because the first time we bought from Zerzal everything was in grain pros the next time it wasn't right Chuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> come on yeah <laughs> um so yeah so this is the description uh so that you guys you can see the description that goes on so um really it's just uh, call outs, right? So we're talking about how many times are things called out and we, it's called check all that apply this test, the description test. So it's not how, how chocolatey do you think it is? So you as guys chose these and everyone else put their, their tick, their check mark yeah. next to graham cracker in this case yeah. and next to yogurt. Yeah. So our, the lex, the lexicon, if you will, that's in the app was generated off of years of tasting data off of those stickies. So I, Went uh -huh. back through, like spreadsheet oh, after boy. spreadsheet, yep. word clouded the heck out of it. Pulled out thematics and pulled out, and then worked with the team at Draft Lab to come up with the lexicon that is. Is not a finished product. By no means am I making a statement to the rest of the craft chocolate industry that our lexicon is the only way to go. <laughs> um, but we needed some place to start. We needed a common language to use, and so and we've already we've already run into issues with our lexicon. I have so um, with seven people voting, one person chose each of the different. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So um, some people will get a little crazy. So actually, only four people chose all seven of these. Um, sweet aromatics. Okay. So somebody was very, very, uh, was very intent on telling me that they were tasting sweet aromatics and they got multiple things out of it. So when you're going through this data, you don't just look at how many times something was, was voted on. You go in to see how many times was it voted on and by how many people. <laughs> because, you know, if I got really excited. Are you excited, able to look after and see who voted? Yes. And how? Yep. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's the you're starting to know people by oh their palates now. I know in a everybody. Completely different yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, oftentimes I will log into data and be like, you know, I will know where start recommending will land. restaurants for certain people. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, um, Caitlin, our uh, director of production, she's will always and forever be a lover of fruity chocolate, and I know that yeah. by sending her a fruity bar, that she's going to be the happiest. Um, I also know that there are certain people that will always dislike a specific origin that they're responsible for making. So that's fine. So long as you are good at understanding what it needs to taste like in the, in the instance of you being a maker, I care less about what you like in that moment. I care more about what you like when you're, when you're doing a profile development process, uh -huh. but as a chocolate maker, who's doesn't responsible matter. for it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. And so everything you got here. Yeah. I mean, your box of goodies. <laughs> I'm oftentimes running tastings across 
across the entire company. And so uh, I need oh, this is your this is your my suitcase. my little suitcase of of chocolate. So it's excuse me, it hasn't been replenished in a while. But I'd, I'd imagine everyone important. loves to see you show up. Yeah, uh, it's you'd believe that. But oftentimes they're like, "Not more chocolate," because I make them okay. taste a lot. But, I can you know. understand that. <laughs> so I got. I actually have to be really careful about how much chocolate I. I have to be cognizant of the fact that they're tasting every day, all, all day. day, on the floor. Yeah. And so when I come to them with the next taste test, they have to say, "You know." Yeah, because so people often ask how much chocolate I eat, <laughs> and I started to do the math. I'm like, "Oh my god, I eat like over a hundred pounds a year sometimes if I'm actively yes. making chocolate." Yep. Yeah, it's not a small amount, and so you really have to be aware for your team. Team's sake, as flavor manager, I kind of have to, I have to put larger. Um, oftentimes, I want results from something very quickly, and I have to be really careful when I when I play that card because yeah, because they could have just eaten half a pound of nibs. Yes, exactly. Not literally, but yes. <laughs> Maybe if something's wrong, sometimes you have to eat that much to get get through it all. So. Totally. Well, Karen, flavor manager at Dandelion, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, of course. I really appreciate it. Hi guys, if you enjoyed the podcast, we'd appreciate if you subscribe and give a review. This helps other chocolate lovers like yourself discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great day.